Hello listener, Matt here. Support Ben, read his ramblings, or find further notes on this show at securitized.com, spelled S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y-Z-E-D.com. episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec where we discuss all things information all things security and all things information security i'm ben maliso and i'm matt snotty and i'm rafael fiedler and on this very special pre-thanksgiving or i guess what will this come out on no this will come, this will come out, out the day after thanksgiving for for our american friends Will it or will it come out the week after Thanksgiving? I oh, yeah, right you're right. Yeah. yeah, but we're recording it the week of Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You're, you're, you're spilling the, uh, uh, the the secret that we, we record prior, <laughs> prior to the date that we were. We, Do you we think anyone them. was under the illusion that a podcast is done live? And, and... I don't know. You never know. Okay. All right. So anyway, w- welcome, everyone. Um, we are going to be just catching up on a few current events because there's a, a few things uh, over the past few weeks that I make kind of nifty that are uh, tangentially related to information and information security. Um, who wants to bring up, who wants to bring one up first? What's, what's your current events? Oh, I'll bring it up because I've been giving myself a crash course on it this morning. Okay. The, the whole FTX cryptocurrency exchange meltdown. This Love has it. been in my news feed for gosh, whatever, two weeks now going on. And I knew nothing about it because I don't like cryptocurrency. I don't invest in crypto. I think that it's uh, our, our NFTs, all of the, uh, the 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 related stuff. It's always driven me mad because I, I, I've never understood why people got into it. I never liked all, it. I never... All the new money, capital N, <laughs> capital M, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's like you know, rich people that have that that ran out of pedestrian things to do, like put it in the S and P five hundred, go out and get crypto, and they all you know, may, seemingly make millions of dollars, you know, with crypto stuff. I don't seem to be able to, 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 to have those same results. I bought a hundred dollars worth of a, worth of a Bitcoin and I checked this morning and it's worth $33 now. So I've already <laughs> lost 66% of my value in, in the, the tiny little sliver of a coin that I own. Matt, I got to ask, do you know what FTX stands for? Cause I honestly do not. Uh, no, I know that the X stands for exchange. Okay. Rafi, you know more about crypto than Matt and me put together. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we at Saving, of course, accept crypto. We accept Bitcoin and we accept Monero. We stopped accepting Ethereum. We have the option still there, um, but we have turned off Ethereum because it moved off of proof of work and into proof of stake, which, of course, um, is a little bit controversial in regards to who then starts controlling this new money and stuff like that um but i don't think that we need to get into all of that as far (laughs) as i understand in regards to ftx um and i'm putting myself a little bit out there because like all those crypto hardcore uh fans of course would hate me for for going away and what what are we doing don't liking ethereum anymore but i have mined ethereum for a long time of course this makes me a little bit sour in that regard as well my potential of converting electricity into new money uh, stopped. (laughs) Um, But with current energy prices in Europe, I would not want to do this anyway. So 
Yeah. Um, FTX, as far as I understand, it's uh, both. It's an exchange and it's a, they had their own coin. Um, I have not looked into FTX. When this uh, came up in my feed a couple of days ago, I'm like, what is FTX? I know about Binance, but typically I, I like um, there are other exchanges that I like to use. Um, so You're going to have to dumb it down for us. Oh, first of all, do you know what FTX stands for also? No. I don't okay. think that it stands all for right, anything. So, okay, all right. All right, so... <laughs> so no one here knows. So we are coming at this from a place of knowledge and, and being able to speak authoritatively, obviously. This is, this is why y'all listen to the show, so that you can hear three ignorant guys blather on about something. All right, all right, Rafti, what is an exchange for cryptocurrency? I mean, I thought the whole point, from what little I understood of blockchain and Bitcoin, the whole point is that it's an open ledger. Every transaction is noted by the public. The fuck do you need an exchange for? You are the exchange. It is the most individualist currency ever invented. What? What's the point of having an exchange? Yeah, you need to get your first Bitcoin from somewhere. Somebody needs, either you start mining yourself, and of course, then you can create the coin out of electricity um, if it's proof of work. Wait a but... second, wait a second, wait, wait, hold up just a second. Even okay. in that, even in mining, isn't someone paying you to do some processing? Someone's no. giving you Bitcoin for mining, right? Mm, that's more or less the protocol um, that's giving you that, that's rewarding you. This is not, this is because it's math um, or maths for, for the <laughs> Europeans out there. Um, it's like uh, there is, a, and usually they're open source. Um, I don't, I mean, the crypto market is so big, but the big ones, all that um, Safing uses are open source. And so there is, the math of it is open source. And so, you know, if you get the valid next block in the blockchain, the one who does the calculation first, who gets, who finds this block first, this person, this wallet associated to this processing power gets um, a fixed amount of the cryptocurrency and it's created. Okay, right. It's a so, new, so, it's a new so Bitcoin. Let, let me see if I understand. Let me see if I understand this. You are helping the process, the ledger by doing math, by doing calculations, processing energy on, the, yeah. on behalf of the community and you are either solving a new math problem or you're validating existing portions of the ledger. Is that correct? Mm, no, for the valid, that is, that is partially correct, but for the validation, you don't get any money. If you only run a node with, and this is possible, you can run a ledger, a node without uh, mining. Every miner, of course, needs to have the blockchain um, on their node as well, and they need to have a wallet on their node as well, but they don't need, um, uh, or, or like for, for mining, you need all of this, but just for having a ledger, just for having a space that you control and that you trust is correct, because this of course is with decentralization always an issue as well. If you want your place that you control, that you trust to look up how much money you have, then, um, or and do transaction from there, then you don't need to mine. And you don't okay. get any money for this. All right. Welcome, Joey. Joey just joined us. Joey Police, everybody. Hi. How are Sorry you? Sorry for the delay. Sorry for the delay. That's okay. You jumped in on the most boring part of the conversation. All right. Now, <laughs> it's, it sounds Again, like crypto today. 
Yeah, Rafi, I have to understand this. So the mining then is establishing the next block in the blockchain following the asymmetric crypto. Is that what you're doing? Yes, yes. Okay. You're looking always for an and like predefined um key. Um okay. so the key right. has a structure so who's to paying it. You? Where does the money come from? It's generated. Because every everybody then agrees that suddenly in your wallet a new brand new Bitcoin is in there because okay. the blockchain now, only now is a record. These, for yeah. most of these, aren't there a finite number of potential Bitcoins? Isn't that the whole point? That's what makes them continue to have value. You don't generate new ones. I know Ethereum generated new ones. Yeah. Bitcoin, for instance, does not. Right? Yeah, yeah. The math okay. has a half so, and and predefined so half event. When so they... when everybody so when everybody agrees that the new Bitcoin is put into Rafti's wallet for revealing that next block of the blockchain, yeah, where does that come from? Is there a giant receptacle of unassigned Bitcoins? No, no, no. It's just because like how much Bitcoin is out there is always just um, the ledger. This is the reason why you need a node yourself where you have the whole blockchain on there. You can do it partially, of course, as well when you know since when your wallet is created. But um, uh, like in the moment, everybody agrees that there is a new um, in there and there is not an actual mine where you go in and-, and But it's, and but it's not new. There's a finite amount, right? When it was created, there was this many Satoshis, right? That's that's. But that's it's it. only maths. It's it's you don't go in and get it from a stash somewhere. You only know that theoretically, this is how much there are and you don't go in and get that Bitcoin. You don't go in and get this one. You you only have a theoretical maximum amount. And... So it percolates up from the ground like bubbling crude and, and you're Jed Clampett and you get this chunk of it out of nothing that did not exist before. Uh, it, because it's math, you already know how much it is. That is true. But because it's um, only digital, yes, I would say it's more like creating it anew because mining is a little bit like creates this perception of somebody goes somewhere and grabs something and puts it into your thing. But in, in reality, what you're doing is you always calculate you're the next block. It. You're yeah, revealing. Yeah. The next block, the, how this exists. procession is, the way how the this cal we calculation all agree is done. We all agree exactly. this. You're revealing it for yourself exactly and the way okay. how it's okay. done okay. mathematically okay. is the next block already has this bitcoin in your wallet inside that block and then if everybody writes it onto the nodes then this block this bitcoin is in your wallet okay so this it is, is how like it's mining. how it's done again it is like mining it is like it's there and you're revealing it. Okay. okay so now what do you need the ex <laughs> so what do you need the exchange for yeah at some point if you don't have the technical skills to run a node yourself uh, or like a, a miner yourself. And if you don't want to wait till you get some Bitcoin in there, then you want a place where you can sort of like go and buy yourself some part of a Bitcoin or like a whole one or whatever. Or buy or buy yourself a part of a mining operation. Is that what an exchange is? No, you there are there are um, mining pools. Um, there are I, I, I don't want to call names there, but there are mining pools which offer software that you can install on your laptop or, or your computer, which is using this device 
to be part of this whole pool and you will get a percentage of the block that the whole pool makes based on how much uh, power, like uh, calculation power you put into the whole it's distributed pool. computing. It's yes, like exactly. SETI at home or what they did with the, the genome. Okay. So, so the exchange is somebody says, we've got some coins. If you want to buy into our collective, just give us money. It takes, mm. you don't, you don't need a key. You don't need that. You just, you just do a transaction. And I think That's this like, is what people have done with FTX, but you can like with a good exchange and you should always do, if you buy some crypto, you should move it out of the exchange. You can buy it there. It's like currency. If you want some euros, you can go to your exchange, also known as your local bank, and you could grab and get some euros from them. You give them dollars, you get euros, and you could leave it with them and trust them to handle your heroes for you. Or you can always go there and get it out and have it in cash and take it home and have like a cold wallet. It would, uh, this it. is so, how I would call it. So what these people with FTX were doing is they were giving a whole bunch of money to FTX to buy the coin and then just leaving the coin in the management of FTX. With the, exactly. presumption, with the presumption that FTX was gonna reinvest this or hold on to it while it grew in value or what? What? what, yeah, what hold on. The, Hold on. Yeah, yeah. you Hold want on. to because keeping it in exchange makes it easier. Like for for first of all, moving your uh, crypto always costs money. Um, there is uh, like it's called a, a service, gas fee yeah. with yeah exactly, and this is paid to the miner as well. Like in the whole mining thing, which which we touched on earlier, the miner gets this money as well. Um, and so moving always costs. So you some people who want to trade quickly leave it in the exchange, want to buy in low, sell high, uh, and never move their crypto out of the exchange. And so okay. the money stays in the exchange and the theoretical crypto stays in the exchange. And so now I think we're in the point where we can continue with the FTX. I got it. Situation. Yeah. So, so FTX was supposed to be like a bank. Yes. Supposed to be. Yeah. Right, right. It was it was a bank for, and I think that it was four separate cryptocurrencies was what they were managing, and and like Rafi said, they also had their own. I don't think it was actually a cryptocurrency, but it was called a token, um, and I'm not sure how all that fits into the whole thing. But yeah, it was a, a FTT, FTX's token or something something along those lines. But yeah, essentially this this crypto exchange FTX was like was modeled very similarly to a stock exchange. So if you want to go buy a, a stock, for instance, you can you can buy that stock and then have it managed. And then hopefully over time, it either grows in value or you reap dividends or something like that. Um, the, the, the difference is a crypto exchange like FTX has no oversight, unlike a stock exchange, which would, you know, uh, let, let's say the United States Stock Exchange, which is heavily regulated, has tons of oversight because so many eyes on it, so many laws passed regarding uh, how things can happen in it. Crypto exchange doesn't have any of, of those protections in it. Okay. And, and especially, and it's a Bahamas company too, right? It's a <laughs> Yeah, for tax reasons. Uh, and, I, and I think but this it, may but be it's a not good... an American company, so it wouldn't be regulated. Right, under, right. Yeah, yeah. Soil. Even okay. even if it were uh, on, on U.S. soil, I don't think that it would necessarily be regulated uh, as a U.S. company or as a U.S. stock exchange. But I think that the main reason it was in the Bahamas was because it was a tax haven, because they didn't have any particular taxes to the government that they had to pay. And, and they were handling significant amounts of money. 
And that's I heard important. 14 billion. Yeah, 14 to 15 billion is what this was what was essentially handling. Um, and and I think their day daily uh, trading was 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 in the four to five billion dollar range. So they were they were moving around large chunks of money, and in the process generating lots of money for their uh, uh, the people who had invested in, in the exchange and also for the owners of the company, in particular the one owner. Uh, who uh, is the mathematical uh, genius who, who's kind of the center of all this stuff. What's his name? Bankman Freed or something like that? Yeah, he, he, yeah, he goes by the initials SBF. Uh, okay. And I forget what his first name is, but yeah, yeah, Bankman Freed. Uh, okay. MIT guy or, or, or you know, some, some Ivy Leaguer, super, super smart guy. Um, who started this in 2017? I'm not so sure about that super smart thing. Well, <laughs> being smart and being ethical are two different things. I'm going to say that my jury is still out as far as that's concerned. <laughs> he was a great marketer, from what I understand. Yeah. So what's happened? I mean, what's happened this week that that's everybody's talking? Why are we talking about it? Well, I think that the the, the main thing that everybody's talking about is that uh, it went bankrupt. And there were no well, protections in place for any of the money he, that was in it. He loaned himself $10 billion, right? To his trading uh, company, right, Alameda because, or Athena right, or whatever the hell it was. Right, because he actually was the, the, the head of two different companies that had uh, competing interests. So he... Uh, he I, I'm well, not so sure he was only the head of two companies. Those are the two we are aware of at the moment. But he just gave himself... He dipped into the cash register drawer as a lot of um small business owners do right right so in, in essence he was using the ftx exchange which had a lot of money and using it to fund his other company which did not have a lot of money which would be fine except for that it, the the press got wind of it and then much like we saw in the 20s depression era everybody all of a sudden started panicking and saying oh these this guy is actually doing stuff we don't agree with I want to pull my money out, and if one or two people say they want to pull their money out, that's not a big deal. But if 90% of the investors all of a sudden say they want to pull their money out, well, guess what? There's not enough money for everybody. Yeah, it's a run on a bank is what yep. it is. Right. Yeah. You would think you would think that there would be checks and balances for those types of withdrawals and movements, even though crypto is an unregulated currency, right? But you would think that there would be some kind of dual signature type process in for that type of withdrawal or those types of moves so the guy that they've put in charge of it in because now it's i don't want to call it receivership again i don't understand what legal consequences and and what legal environment this exists in the guy they put in charge of it was also the guy who was in charge of liquidating enron <laughs> and, and and the quotes I've read from him are phenomenal, and I'm and I'm not going to be able to quote them from memory, but they are very much to the effect of um, there was no corporate governance in place. All those checks and balances you're talking about, those things that are usually inherent to any functioning mature company, did not exist. It was freewheeling wild west time, and they did not even have a full list of all of their employees. They had no idea who exactly was working for the company at any given time. Um, sure. It seems like uh, Mr. Bankman Freed uh, was uh, under the influence of, of many kinds of pharmaceuticals. Uh, he did not have 
um, normal business practices himself. Uh, he may have he may suffer from many kind of mental incapacities. Uh, and I don't know if he bathes on a regular basis and people <laughs> were giving him their money. Yeah. To the tune of, yeah, like you said, $15 billion. I mean, it's not a small amount of money. This kid became super duper rich very, very quickly. Um, being put in charge of, of that amount of money and, and, this, and, and he's 30 years old, I think is what they said. I mean, I don't Joey, think any I, I got to ask you with your newly minted CISSP, what do we call it when investors give money to someone without checking to determine whether that someone is trustworthy or has the checks and balances in place? What is that a lack of? Oh, that is a lack of, um, hang on. If you hadn't asked me, I could have told you. <laughs> due diligence. Due Boom. diligence, due diligence and not due, due care. Diligence. Now, I, I do not mean to make light of victims, and I do not mean to do victim blaming. But if you don't do your due diligence and you hand your money to a stranger because he talks a big game or he had his face on the news, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. That's caveat emptor. You, you did something for very little good reason, and then you lost your money. I, I, so what? I mean, I, I don't see this as a big deal. What do y'all think? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the, uh, no matter how much due diligence you do, it would have been really hard to pierce all of the levels of BS that was being peddled by this company. So I think that you can do as much due diligence as you want, but if they're lying to you all the way down, <laughs> then no amount of due diligence is going to really, really help you. But if they're lying to you all the way down, isn't that kind of readily apparent at some point? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, uh, I, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to, okay, at, at what point have you, have you done enough due diligence? Because at some point you've got to stop investigating whether it's worth putting a million dollars or $10 million in something. At some point you have to say, okay, I've, I, I can't keep doing this ad an infinitum. At, at some point either I'm going to invest the money or I'm not going to invest the money. If you've got the million dollars, why are you handing it to some other idiot? I mean, I, I, I just don't understand. It's, again, this is the, I don't understand the rationale. What, what was it they were hoping to accomplish that they couldn't have done with having a million dollars liquid? I think it's $10 million. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think that it comes down to, uh, again, comparing it to the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. Uh -huh. if, if you're talking to other investors and they're saying, oh, we're getting these great returns. And in fact, we've gotten these great returns over the past six months, let's say, or something like that. We, he turned our you know, $10 million investment into a $50 million investment. Then of course you go, okay, well, if he did it for this guy, oh, and he did it for this guy and he did it for this guy. And, and enough other people come forward and say, yeah, he did it for us too. Then you say, okay, I, I, I guess it's worth putting it in, uh, put, putting my money in there too, just so that I can, and, and yeah, there's risk associated with it. I'm sure that you, you know, any in individual investor has to weigh the pros and cons of, of what may or may not happen. But at some point you go, eh, you know what, uh, good enough for me. And, and here's my check. Sounds like the bandwagon effect to me. That still does well, not sound like due diligence. That, and, yeah. and I'm a contrarian in all things, including be a contrarian investor. You know, <laughs> when something's <laughs> doing real good, I sell. And uh, that may not be the smartest way to approach. I am not a gajillionaire. That's for sure. I don't have half the money 
that Mr. Bankman Freed did. Um, <laughs> but you do have a percentage of the money that he has. So that's that counts for something. <laughs> now, um, now, you know, if it's less than one percent in my case, then yeah. <laughs> I, I did find out that the guy again, this this lawyer who's who's sifting through the ashes, they've been able to recover about seven hundred million dollars worth of stuff. And evidently they're they're kind of figuring out where some of it went and trying to see if they can pull it back too. But also what was revealed was that in addition to having shitty governance or lack thereof, um, their business practice, just their crypto practices were pretty atrocious. They were sending private keys, Joey, this is, you're gonna jump in on this with your CISSP. <laughs> they were sending private asymmetric keys through email. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Which What's of course is somebody. Oh, and everybody so has the key. Yeah. Potentially. Well, you can read the email. And so, and so, what this would mean is, we were only talking about the the dollars which were in the exchange, but of course, all the cryptocurrencies are in there as well. And of course, sending those private keys would allow someone to transfer out cryptocurrencies that somebody potentially would have paid for out of their exchange. I don't know how many wallets they had and how they managed all of that backend stuff. But of course, um, Safing has multiples, for instance, and a customer sending to multiple wallets. So if we, uh, if one wallet would get hacked, not all of our money, crypto new money would be gone. <laughs> but of course, we are not sending uh, anything, any like private keys via email. We're keeping those air gapped and yeah. Again, that gets back to who who was running this. I mean, it seems like it was run by a bunch of novices that had no idea from a security standpoint what they were doing. Delta House. Delta House was running. <laughs> Are you saying, Joey, that, that you think that if this was being run by some CISSPs that they might still be solvent today? <laughs> right. I, you know, just just the, the the depth of ignorance is staggering to me, and and, and I, I, you know, everyone's are, the the news right now that we're seeing is they're calling for regulation and how crypto has to be brought to heel and blah blah. I don't think that has anything to do with this at all. Uh, I honestly think it just comes down to if you give your money to a clown, don't. Don't be surprised when you end up wearing clown shoes. I mean, it's just, it's, this is not a matter of a regulator. This is a matter of you're an idiot and, and he's an idiot. And if you wanted to, you pay the, the gas fee, right? You pull out your crypto, you hold on to it yourself. You put it on yes. a flash stick, you lock it in a safe and it's yours. If you buy gold bullion, from Joey or Doug on the corner and you say, Doug, I don't have a place to put the gold. You hold on to the gold and my money for me. Don't be surprised when Doug walks off with both the gold and the money, right? <laughs> Rafi, do I have that analogy correct? I agree. I, I would not recommend putting it on a flash drive. Um, those are prone to fail. You should have multiple backups of your keys and stuff. And, and preferably... But those should all be those should all be protected severely. They should be yes. locked up. They should be, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, when you, yeah. When, when you look at a website like that, FTX, when, when it, is it, is it FTX? Is that right? Yeah. Back before all of this, I'm sure that it looked incredibly secure, incredibly legitimate, incredibly 
well entrusted. I mean, we can go to the way back and see, you know, what what it looked like. But uh, perception is everything, right? How many times have, have we seen in the industry that, hey, this company or this individual looks really good and, and you know, comes down to it, it, it's not. It's just a wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, yeah, and it comes down to that. Yeah, they, they they were not hacked in any sense of the word by someone going through their website. It it, it had nothing to do with uh, really how um, how they were actually handling the transactions and 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 the 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 two the two person rule where they had to have two people signing off on stuff like that. What happened was um, it just it, it it was just that the owner of the of the of 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 the exchange decided to move a large amount of money in a way that was questionable. And had that not gotten out into the public, he would have kept on doing business as usual. It was only the fact that it got out to the public that, oh, he's just taken $8 billion and moved it to his other side project that all of a sudden people started going, wait a second, why why did he do this? And why is he taking my money and moving it somewhere else? I don't like this anymore. And I'm going to start pulling my money out. And enough people did that, that they, that caused the run on it. He's had just it, a crook. He's yeah, just a crook. Well, well, and this but, says, this says nothing about crypto. This says nothing yeah. about you know a regulatory environment. He's just a crook. That's all it is. Well, yeah, it, 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 he could have been handling uh, real gold bullion, like you said, and and it yeah. was he, he could have done the exact same thing. It has nothing to do with crypto. It was the fact that yeah, his business practices were not very very sound. But but the other thing of it is because there were no protections in place for when anything happened because it wasn't under the SEC regulation or anything like that. That's why it collapsed so quickly. Um, if he, uh, we, we don't know how many times over the course of the existence of FTX that he did questionable things like this and it worked out fine and he, he didn't get caught and there was no problem with anything. It's just that this particular time he got caught and it, and that's why it all collapsed. I'm reminded of a popular tale from this time of year about a young man, idealistic, uh, ran a savings and loan and had similar shoddy business practices to the point where he did not keep enough of his depositors' currency on hand to cover those deposits in lieu of handing out loans that were excessive with bad bookkeeping and trusting a drunken uncle to handle that money. You know who I'm talking about? Thought you were going to say Bob Cratchit or Christmas Carol, but <laughs> no. What, no, the, the other one. The other one. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I never saw that. Oh, you've never, what the hell? <laughs> what? How have you Rocky's even seen that? <laughs> never seen it. Um, maybe, maybe then um, to to sort of like um, bring something in from the crypto area there as well. Um, I think why this. And I think Ben, you brought this up. Um, or I don't know who said it, but like that, this is an actual. This could have happened in the past as well. And why does crypto offer itself so well for stuff like that? Like people buying in, and then the person who takes the money doing stuff with it, because crypto usually has around it this hodl, um, hold like hodl is what they call it, and it's this holding on to your crypto. Like keep buying new crypto. There are those people who are like invest 
10 euros or like $10 every month and just keep on buying it and holding on to it because eventually it will go to the moon and you will be rich and everything and stuff like that. And so it's like, I mean, investing regularly into stuff, this is not bad advice, but with crypto, this of course, like, um, is much more like, I think it's, it's what people used to do with stocks and stuff. Um, but as you said, much more unregulated. Um, and so there's people there's are, this whole aura around crypto that it is unknowable because it is so mathematical and only very smart people or very computer savvy people can can understand it. And so people are really that <laughs> they really get into that mindset of, oh, you know, the smart people will figure it out. Um, I'm just going to hand them my money and they're going to hand me a receipt that says, OK, you now own X number of Bitcoins or Dogecoins or Ethereum or whatever. This and then this this mindset of just holding on. And so you're giving money to somebody. You don't understand completely that you should move it off. You keep on investing and keeping the the this new money coin, you know? And so you're not taking it out. What happened is very unusual in the crypto scene. People typically buy crypto and don't sell it. Um, and especially now with the, uh, crypto being fairly low again, like uh, Bitcoin is 15,000, um, euros today. So probably around $15,000 again, is that like a million dollars? <laughs> it's 15,000 as well, oh, but it used to oh, be okay. 60,000. And so what they're gambling on is buying, like investing 100 euros now, $100 now and having in a year 400. You know, and this right. is sort of like this this process of what they're thinking of. And I think this is particularly true. I, I haven't heard this, but I can assume that many people have encouraged others now to sort of like now is the time to buy, now is the time to buy. I, I believe the, I believe all that. I believe that this was victims of hype, of of yeah. uh, opacity. I believe all that, except that there were a lot of institutional investors in FTX, much like with the Bernie Madoff thing. And that's right. the thing that gets me. Not just that there was a lack of governance on FTX's side, but it seems like there was a lack of due diligence and governance and sense on the part of institutional investors who were playing with other people's money. And that floors me because if anybody should be a professional paranoid skeptic, it should be those head fund managers and the, and the people who are in charge of your IRA and your retirement account, all those people should not be jumping on a bandwagon. They should not be chasing the next dream and they should not be trying to shoot the moon. That should not be what we do for investing. I don't think that needs regulation. I think that needs a lot more common sense. And I think that anyone who has made these investment choices should never be allowed to be a hedge fund manager or an institutional investor ever again. But that's just me. I like holding people. <laughs> well, if you if you look at the news right now, this this it goes very close hand in hand with the Theranos scandal with Elizabeth Holmes, <laughs> you know, and I don't oh. want to, we don't have to dive. Oh, that. I do want to do that. What just happened? <laughs> Joey, thank you for bringing it up. We're doing current events. Let's segue over where, where's Miss Holmes right now. Well, she's at home right now and she has to turn herself in in April because she's pregnant with her second child, but she was just sentenced to a little over 11 years in prison for, I think it's fraud, right. And, and, and embezzlement. I don't know all of the charges, but if you haven't listened to the um, the founder or the the podcast uh, about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, and then also the Hulu uh, series about this as well, 
fascinating. Mm-hmm. And everybody bought it, hook, line, and sinker. I, I preferred the documentary done by the the same folks who did Zero Days, and uh, I, I forget the name of the filmmaker. It it was fascinating, and it was all um, uh, actual footage as opposed to reenactments. It wasn't a dramatization, right? right. Um, and, and I forget the name of it offhand, but uh, I've seen it. So- yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it, and it was yeah, it was a good documentary. Is that the one also where they pointed out? that she would artificially lower the sound of her voice, the, the, her, the voice, of her voice, yes. she would talk like this whenever she was in any kind it's of a meeting. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, her, her natural voice was much, much higher. But, so. yeah, I, I, but I'm not so sure that was in the documentary, but I have heard that has come out since yeah. that she tried to yeah, go baritone. If, if yeah. you think about it, just the amount of, or the lack of due diligence, the lack of due care that was placed in these organizations and they went so far i think people want to see you know they 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 are so excited that it's you believe the lie long enough that you're telling it becomes true and i think there's a psychological fact to that but i think that was her issue Uh, and that's particular that was what manifested the fraud is that she actually isolated herself from her developers and engineers uh, because they kept telling her this does not work, this does not work. She kept saying, if we just keep throwing money at it and we keep developing and we keep growing, it'll work out. The tech will catch right. up to my vision. Right. Um, and that's fine if you're making video games. Not so good <laughs> if you're trying to diagnose people's medical ailments and yeah. giving them what they think is actionable material based on what you're doing. And I think that's why 11 years sounds about right to me. I think that's a good thing because I think she was callously disregarding uh, health and human safety in ignoring the errors in her company. Uh, she asked for leniency. She wanted uh, no more than an 18-month sentence. The government stay at wanted- home. Uh, was it 18 sentence. months suspended at home like in car- home incarceration love that with just an ankle monitor good yeah right. and the Martha government Stewart. wanted 15 years yeah um, you know we were talking about that last night uh well we were kind of all the kids were were just kind of chit-chatting and and this topic came up and uh one of my one of my kids said to me dad what would you have if you were the judge what would you have done and I said, this is why I'm not a judge, because I literally <laughs> probably I would have said, you've served time enough. You know, I'm so I'm the softy in the family, though. You know, I'm the I'm the the easy one. Um, you would have let her skate. No, no. Look, look, look. I mean, I say that because I see a, I see a mother, you know, getting ready to have another baby. And I see the, you know, the, the compassionate side. But but in the end, this is why I'm not a federal judge. I can't look at that without emotion rather than look at the law and the law's broken. And these are the consequences of that. Right. I don't mind. I don't mind you having an emotion. I kind of think judges should. That's that's part of the, the human. That's being a judge. Uh, on the other hand, don't you have the emotion for her victims? And, and that's what I'm saying right. is, and, is they're supposed yeah. to balance those things. And honestly, her getting knocked up, uh, to me, it seems like a sociopathic maneuver to try to keep herself out of prison. If she didn't do that on purpose, I would be just absolutely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. But uh, back back to your original comment, bring up now that we have Theranos, we've talked about Madoff and, and FTX and stuff like that. Ben, you, you had mentioned, okay, well, you know, how why, why haven't you done more due diligence if you're going to be investing in any one of these investment schemes? All of these are are prime examples of there's only a small handful of people in each of these companies that knows the truth 
about what these companies are doing. With Theranos, nice. it was Elizabeth Holmes and you know a small number of engineers. Uh, with FTX, it was uh, a, a small number of people at the very, very top. Madoff had us, you know, like five people. Uh, Joe and I had had a discussion about Madoff just last week. We were talking about FTX a little bit because neither of us understood it, and I still don't understand it. But if if, if those if that small number of four, five, six people keep their mouths shut, no amount of due diligence is ever going to crack that. Bullshit. And the reason I say that is because while the technology may be new, business is not new. We've been doing business for hundreds of years, and we have really good processes for this. When FTX revealed its audit reports done by an audit firm whose headquarters was in Meta, that should clue anybody in that maybe they're not on the up and up. When you're on the up and up, you go and hire Price Waterhouse. You go and hire Deloitte, Gartner. Uh, uh, you know, you go and get somebody who does audits on a regular basis so that that opacity can at least be handled third hand by someone who's a trusted agent. When you go and pick somebody who's smoking mirrors, that's a big red fucking flag. And again, these were people being snowed by the appearance of magic in the IT realm. And and again, that's why I have very little sympathy there. Sorry. Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> so yeah, so so Theranos. Um, but I want to carry this further. You had another topic you wanted to talk about, oh. and 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 it's why I don't think Miss Theranos and why I don't think uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried should be able to put the past behind them. What was the topic you wanted to talk about about leaving? leaving your errors in the dust <laughs> so uh, so so yeah i was talking uh in, in our little pre pre uh, show chat about uh the the concept of the right to be forgotten which is something that i've thought about not very hard uh but i started looking into it last week because i was like a, a certain incident occurred recently uh, in in my hometown, Lexington, Kentucky, where the University of Kentucky is. Um, Joe, you, you you may know about the story about the yes. uh, the, yes. the the college girl who got super duper terrible. It's terrible. Um, uh, went back to a dorm, not her dorm. At sorry, I just I want to say that she got drunk. I think that got stepped on. Go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry. She yeah she 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 got drunk, not blackout drunk, but she uh, shows up at a dorm. Two o'clock in the morning. Um, it's not her dorm. The front desk uh, worker, who was another student, uh, as is the case with these, um, who was an African American woman, stopped her and said, uh, "I don't think you live here because her, none of her card card keys were working or anything like that." And in the space of about ten minutes, um, the drunk girl uh, used racial slurs over two hundred times against the person who had stopped her, and indeed also physically assaulted her. Uh, trying to um, you know get her out of the building and stuff like that, um, so that occurred, uh, and and that in and of itself is is, is a tragedy. It was all being recorded on a phone. Uh, the recording made its way out to the public. by a third party. Yeah, by a third party. Okay. Um, the the in other words, the, the the night that the incident occurred. So this was a Saturday going into a Sunday. By Sunday morning, it had gone viral, and not just within our community of Lexington, Kentucky, but also worldwide. Um, so this girl, uh, uh, her, her her name, her home address, her parents' names, where they work, uh, be, because of this racist tirade, all of a sudden, effectively, her family was doxxed. So all of her personal details were revealed. Now, this is all completely separate of, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, um, 
real consequences did occur. The university expelled her. Uh, she was arrested by uh, uh, Lexington police. She was uh, uh, taken to jail. Uh, so she did have real world consequences, but she did also have virtual consequences in that her name and all of her family's name got out to everybody in the world. And I was thinking to myself, okay, uh, there's this whole thing of right to be forgotten, uh, especially in the GDPR. So if you want to have your name removed from the internet uh, by certain, you know, uh, social media, search engines like Google, you know, your Facebook, stuff like that, you can petition to have your name removed from all that stuff so that no one can find you anymore. In other words, you, you can be forgotten digitally from the internet. And I was thinking if, if as a father of three college age kids who have all made mistakes and have done stupid stuff, none of them like this, but, but nonetheless, they have made mistakes. If the United States had a uh, uh, right to be forgotten law, or if we lived in the European Union where we had a, a right to be forgotten, uh, would that be able to be leveraged against something like this? And, and, and what would be the consequences of, of, of something like that? So that was what I was kind of bringing up and, and what, what I was thinking about. Because the right to be forgotten is interesting. It goes, it flies directly in the face of the First Amendment. In other words, if someone has the right to say something about you, um, as, as long as it's true. And in this case, anybody and everybody in the United States is, is saying things and having opinions on this, this incident. And they're all true. And her name's never going to be erased from the Internet. But what if it could be? Would that be Joey, beneficial? Joey, you said you're familiar and you said it's horrible as well. What, what's your take on this? I mean, no, everything that Matt has said is, uh, I believe, is accurate to my knowledge. But, I, you know, I look at... I look at where we are as a culture and as a society, and as unfortunate as these events are, I also I also know that this girl and you know she's in her young twenties right now. Um, I know that in twenty thirty years, uh, you know I hope that that you're going to change, right? That that's going to change, and and I would hate to see um, the sins of everybody's past have to stay with them to an extent, right? And 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 I hope that this individual learns and 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 uses that, but. But I don't I don't know what what the implications are going to be for her and anyone else that has done these types of egregious offenses um, that, that get caught online. Matt brings up a good point. At what point, though, do we do we say, OK, we're you know, here's another chance. Right. Or you've paid your debt to society. You can start over. And right, I think, right, you know, I've heard I've heard Rafi echo similar sentiments in the past. I think we just talked about it on a recent episode. You believe that you weren't who you were 20 years ago. You should be. None of us were. None of us were. Right. And, and, and I'll if go. I, if I, yeah. I was, real quick. If, if if I went back to my college days, I mean, gosh, I did some really stupid things. Right. And thank goodness that we didn't have cell phones and or else we would all be. Um, we would all have these records and thank goodness that we don't. And, and so I want to extend, you know, we, I think we need to extend that grace to people um, uh, going forward as well. Right. And learn from them. I, I'll go a step further. I don't have kids. So, so Matt's frame of reference is different than mine. I've been drunk and I've been young and I've been young and drunk. And, and had anybody pointed a camera at me in certain situations of my past, I, you know, I, I would not be on this podcast today. I'd be hiding in a cave somewhere. There's, there's <laughs> absolutely no doubt in my mind. Um, that being said, uh, a couple of things spring to mind. First of all, she's an adult. Sure. And should be held to an adult standard. Sure. And if adults misbehave, then punishment should be 
swift and just. Well, there are consequences. Now, consequences. Now, as Matt pointed out, she she did get arrested. I you know I don't know on what basis was it the assault, the physical battery of struggling with the the front desk clerk. Right. It was the assault on the front desk clerk and clerk, and she also did assault the police officer who was arresting her. So that's that carried yeah. a, a little yeah. bit more with her. But okay, um, so. So being a racist by, on its face, though, that is not illegal. Saying racist no, words no, and using that, racist slurs. Yeah, not in the U.S. not illegal. Not, a, not that, in the U.S. But she is facing consequences for that that are going to be much longer lasting than the, the, the courts can punish her or the, or the university can punish her. Here's my question, and I explored this in, in, in my book on privacy. Is there a place in our society for shame? And and when I say shame, I'm talking extrajudicial approaches to malfeasance. If you do something wrong, even though it's not something that raises to a level of a crime where you need to be imprisoned and isolated from the populace for everybody's safety, can I, as your neighbor and associate and potential colleague or customer, can I treat you differently from my own volition based on what I know of you? And is that good and right? And the reason I ask that is if my neighbor is racist, and I do live in Louisiana, and casual racism is a lot more common here than what I was used to uh, experience when I was growing up, is it wrong of me to isolate myself from you? No, of course not. If society as a collective determines that certain behavior is inappropriate, is it wrong for them as a collective uh, for us to isolate ourselves from somebody else and no it, it doesn't she then just face a group shaming is is that what has occurred right and and that would be the case if this was 50 years ago or even 20 years ago uh yeah you get publicly shamed um you and but eventually that's forgotten because uh, the, the the shaming is forgotten because uh, time passes we now live in a digital age, though, where things aren't forgotten. So 20 years from now, for instance, uh, a potential employer, a potential, you know, uh, uh, other person in her life may look up uh, through a search engine her name, see what she did as a 22-year-old uh, kid, and then make the determination, okay, that, you know, I, I don't want to associate with this person anymore, even though that's long in the past. Because it's, because it's a digital record, does she have a right to say, uh, I, I don't want that to be out there anymore because I did, you know, five years ago, I, I did all my penance and I did all, all, all my requirements for, with the court. I shouldn't have be held to that anymore. But you're imagining that all employers are not like you for some reason. You're imagining that all employers are not willing to give someone a second chance or balance time past versus demonstrated activity over that 20-year interval, uh, comparing it to the actions of a drunk young person. You're imagining that everyone's always going to uh, think the worst and act accordingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's kind of the thing that I'm, my imagination can go, can run the, the entire spectrum of possible outcomes. Should she be allowed, though, to have some some formalized way to remove that so that there's no question of how that will be perceived in the future?
Well, I, I guess my question would be, where would that threshold be set and how would you enforce it? And would we all be able to survive in our little cells being fed the graham crackers that the government will give us now that our minds are being controlled <laughs> from a centralized authority? I, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. I mean, to go with the slippery slope argument, if anyone can erase their past, what does that say for Stephen Glass or you know, uh, Jason Blair or, you know, anybody else who's done something egregious that they should be held accountable for in the long term. You do not have a right to be a member of the New York bar. And yes, if you were a uh, confessed liar on multiple occasions, maybe you shouldn't be an attorney and you don't have a constitutional right to be an attorney. And shouldn't that perm that shouldn't that permanent record be permanent? Okay. I think it's good. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, yeah, the argument can be made for that. But then my next question would be, though, okay, so her parents were also doxxed. So her parents' names were given out, their their home address. Do her parents have a leg to stand on if they say, look, this happened to our child uh, and it's terrible. And yeah, she'll have to suffer that shame for the rest of her life. But we didn't have anything to do with it other than the fact that, you know, we we raised her. <laughs> so why can we not have our names removed from this uh, being associated with this whole thing? Because they, you know, here, here's the thing. And I identify with this situation. Th this really hit home because the dad, I don't know him personally. Uh, he lives uh, probably about 45 minutes north of Lexington. He's an IT guy. He's just a normal, regular, run-of-the-mill IT guy. Sent his daughter off to college and she did something terrible. And I felt for him because I was like, you know, I saw him and his wife. They just looked like nice, normal people. They weren't, you know, uh, the, the, you know, they not, weren't you wearing can, their clan hats. Right. You can't tell from, from, from the looks of them that, that, that someone's racist or not, but he appeared to just be a regular guy. And, and I'm taking him on uh, in good faith that he's not a racist person and he didn't raise his child to be racist. Why can't, why, why does he have to now suffer? Why doesn't, why can he not have some mechanism to say, look, after five years or 10 years or, or whatever period of time, I can now petition Google to remove my name from these, these news reports. What's the purpose of shame? Is it to correct the person who's done the wrong thing? Sure. Rafti, you're shaking your head. What's the purpose? I'm I just don't like I just don't like I mean it depends. Um I think that how we do public shaming and cancel culture at the moment is way beyond uh correct. I agree. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm totally not disagreeing with you, but I, I'm looking at a macro view and and while we may have sympathy for this one case in this one instance, I want to look at it generalized because when we make a reaction to one case and make rules about it, that's where we create errors that have the wider spread consequences. So I think the purpose of shame is to correct everyone's behavior. If you have an example and say, this is what happens to this person when they do this thing, it's supposed to ripple out and everybody's supposed to go, ooh, I don't want to be put in that situation. Um, and therefore, other young women who are at college and may want to get drunk might abstain or might have one or two less drinks in the future, which is not bad for anybody except barkeepers. Um, <laughs> parents, parents may be more prone to inculcate in their children uh, a better behavior and responsibility. Yeah, again, it's horrible. Yes, to this one IT person and and his spouse, and you know the shame they're feeling right now. That's that's awful, but it may convince people not to have kids because your kids can grow up and be stupid and bring all sorts of calumny upon you. 
And oh, golly, I think that's an extreme. <laughs> I'm I'm all for that. I'm all for that. These are the risks that parents take, and nobody makes you aware of it. When your kid breaks a window when they're six years old, you got to go and fork over the money to repair the window, right? And mm-hmm. nobody, yeah, and and nobody Maybe. thinks that that's the most awful thing in the world. But you have to also be prepared that your kid is going to kick Matt, let me. Let me tell you, if something like that happens to you, um, there are, of course, in our capitalist society, people who fix this for you. The Michael Bassell, of course, is a is a well-known fixer for stuff like that. And he offers a full privacy reboot, um, <laughs> including relocation and everything. It costs you a pretty penny, but it's, uh-huh. it's actually uh, one of the services he offers. Um, and some self-promotion in here, if I may. In his book, Extreme Privacy, Portmaster is recommended for everybody on Windows. So <laughs> we have been in his book. He never contacted us, but we have been in his book for the past oh, two years. Congratulations, years. Rocky. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, <laughs> oh, and of course, this book is preventive. Um, so it's it's proactive. It's about how to stay private in advance. But, um, but if once you want, there are 200 racial epithets. The cat's out of the bag, right? <laughs> yeah, but if you don't, as long as facial recognition does not develop as fast and we can sort of like um, take a picture of an, people like of somebody who's applying for a job and then run their face against the Internet, I think um, if you would take a service up like this, um, I think you should be fairly good. You would be, of, of course, would have to be okay with moving, would have Changing to be okay your name. With, exactly and everything. <laughs> so, but there are services like this, and I think this will only like and and in that regard, I like the right to be forgotten to make it accessible to everybody, not just people who can afford it. You know, especially mm-hmm. because you take a, a, a big hit. Um, you're saying like in in a couple of years they might be able to then like get a job again but in near time there have been people who have been fired for stuff that was put out of context and so on and uh, i think it's just yeah i i don't like this this type of culture i don't like writing history sorry go ahead uh, your your points are 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 received on my on my end right i'm hearing what you're saying about about the children thing and you know we've got three and this has been a discussion where we have just had to sit down and say, these are the dangers that you face as you grow up, meaning your actions, you always have to be prepared. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's recording you. So no matter what you do and where you do, you have to remember that at all times. And that is a tremendous, um, heavy burden for, I think, anyone to, to, to carry, let alone, you know, small adolescent, young kids and teenagers right i mean they are going to mess up they're teenagers that's the point of being a teenager yes it's the point of being that's that's when you mess up right okay you messed up good let's learn from it the problem is now the whole world world can watch when you mess up and and i'm with you there and i and, and i'm totally with you and and the terrible part of this is you know in preserving history and acknowledging the past we also may incur a chilling effect on the entire society. That's the other extreme. And and that's just, if not more terrifying. And if, if you were to say, if Matt was to say, for instance, that for minors, we should expunge all of their behavior, all of their content in perpetuity, I might be okay with that. That one, that, that is something, you know, court records for minors are sealed. 
and with good reason, good cause. Um, this person was an adult, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And and there will be adult consequences. There have been, and uh, I don't see. I don't see this as a good reason to infringe on freedom of expression. I don't see this as a good reason to give up other liberties so that people who make errors and, and errors will be made. Demon rum is a powerful tool. Um, I, I don't see that as being the ultimate outcome. I think actually more transparency, and this is what I've always argued for, will be better. Once we all recognize, and, and I think the four of us here all realize that as bad as what she did, this is possibly an isolated incident. We have no other context of her life. We're willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that she was drunk and stupid and it was a one-off event. And we would not necessarily hold that against her in the long term. As bad as that was, I'm afraid, or I'm hopeful that transparency would reveal that most people do stupid shit when they're drunk and it levels the playing field and it's hard to raise one isolated event against all the background noise of everybody else. If everybody steals from the candy jar, then it's hard to prosecute one person for stealing from the candy jar. Does that, does that make sense too? Yeah. But there's also the, the, the real world consequences of brigading where once you do go viral <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, yeah, you are you are elevated, uh, even even if it's something that happens a million other times on that on that same campus on that same night. She got she's the one that got elevated, and that's unfair. Um, un, 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 unfortunately, um, and of course, I feel terrible for the for the uh, the front desk worker as, as as well who had to put up with it. But my question was going to be towards Rafti. Rafti, if something like this were to happen, let's say at a university in the within the EU. Could the could the right to be forgotten clause of the GDPR be exercised by the person, and would would they have any successful result from it? That's a good, very question. good. Yeah, I have not heard about this stuff yet. I think that um, first of all, here recording people, um, you don't you don't can, are not allowed to record people um, out in public. So we have different laws about recording anyway. Second of all, we have much stricter speech regulation. You cannot, like, there are words that are just forbidden to say. Um, uh, it's you not say that much. in our podcast, Rafi? Because now you're in an American show. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I don't like want you with to an embassy, you. racial epithets, but I mean, if there's anything you've just been dying to say. No, no, no okay. all good, all well, I'm all good. But I think this is partly then because, uh, and so we don't hear it. We don't hear it, and it, uh, you were talking about a chilling effect and stuff like that. And um, so people, if you don't hear it, you don't repeat it, you know. Maybe, but, may, and I think maybe this is a good uh, then case there as well. Of course, when you're a kid, sometimes doing the thing that's forbidden, of course, is extra interesting to you and <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, but... In that regard, I'd say, like, I have not heard about something like that in Europe. Um, Joe, if you if you find something, uh, please please share. But as far as I can tell, this has not yet uh, been tested. Um, and, and but from, I, what I, from what I understand, and Rafti, correct me, the right to be forgotten is more an institutional thing. I can tell Google to drop PII that they've collected on me. I can tell. I can tell certain entities do this, do yeah. this. But when everybody's talking, you'd have to go individually to each individual person and tell them to expunge it from securitized, to expunge it from your Twitter account, to expunge. And of know. course, securitized is not part of like you don't. Your servers are not in the EU. 
you are not, um, you don't have any presence in the EU, so you would not have to comply anyway. I would want to comply if I wanted to continue doing business in the EU, and some of my customers are there. So, I, I mean, yeah, you are correct. I wouldn't strictly legally be obligated, but yeah. Um, so I think even if we did have a similar law, it wouldn't work once something went viral. Once once Pandora's box been opened, you can't stuff it back in. I, I, okay. I think. I think. Well, that's that, yeah, and that, that that's an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about is that if something does go viral, it it it, it appears to negate any of the possible good effects of, of the right to be forgotten clause of the GDPR. So yeah. Okay, and and that's all I was really wanting to kind of get into with regards to that was because the, the right to be forgotten has always fascinated me because I've I've always had this uh, fantasy in my head that one day I'm going to retire and I'm going to purge myself from the internet. I you know I'm I'm just going to go have a cabin in the woods, erase my digital footprint, and never be findable by anyone ever again. And I think that that's a fantasy that a lot of people have, but I think that the reality of it is that's not ever with enough money. <laughs> Maybe start a business for that, Matt. I mean, you could totally do a business for that. Get a professional like eraser and get people yeah, right. the the private. Wasn't that private wasn't that one of that the uh, subplots of that Batman movie where Catwoman wants to? She gets the eraser on the USB stick and she's she's evaporated. Selena gets to start over again. <laughs> I hadn't read that. <laughs> no, about no, Michelle it, Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. And, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about uh, Batman, the, the third one in the Chris Nolan trilogy. Oh, oh, that's Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Doesn't he give it to her at the end so she can start over again, fresh Correct. and clean? Yeah. And all I her crimes behind that's... her, all the good, murders good, and assaults. Good and... media correlation there. I like it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Yes, I think we'd all kind of like to disappear at some point, but, you know, yeah, the Internet is forever. Let's always remember that. Um, I think <laughs> That's we had, right. We had one more current event I'd like to touch on real quickly, tangentially related to the one we just had. Uh, a young fellow who I had never heard of before because I don't know anything about sportsing, uh, Marcus Stokes. Do I have the name correct? Have you heard this story? I don't know anything about this story, so whatever oh, you no, say. This is news oh, to oh, me. Oh. Uh, Marcus Stokes uh, was a, a young sports baller person who was recruited to be in a college as kicking a ball or something like that. And he posted a tick or a talk or an Insta or a something of him mm -hmm. singing along with his car radio. And the song contained a racial epithet being sung by mm -hmm. the singer. And he was singing along and he sang the epithet. Okay, so for a bit of context here, I'm assuming that this was probably like a rap song or something like that. I think so, yeah. Because they I, tend I, to contain a lot of racial epithets. I don't think I don't think it was country or western. I, okay. I don't think yeah, I don't think it was Europop because they don't they don't use a lot of racial epithets. <laughs> and what would the skin color of this Yeah, of see now be? that's that's an interesting thing that's occurred in our world. Marcus Stokes's melanin content is directly affected by the outcome of the story or, or is, it has a direct effect on the outcome of the story right okay what if i was just to say he was the wrong skin color to be using that racial epithet <laughs> that's if he's the wrong skin color i think that that's uh, that, that's established case law that you're not allowed to say it <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'm not even gonna say it on this show and rafti it's not illegal for me to say i could say it as many times as i want i ain't gonna because shame and i know where the third rail lies <laughs> um 
he he lost his scholarship. Uh, he's not being recruited. Um, because I, he was so he was he was taped singing along to a song. He recorded himself. Okay, put it on he, TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Yeah, and so and so all he was doing was singing along with, and the lyrics had the word, and so he sang the word because he was singing the song. Okay, no, he didn't, he didn't think about it. Mm. Correct. Correct. Okay. How y'all feel about that one? You know what? I, here, here's how I feel about that personally. I think every situation is going to be unique, unfortunately, because if he videoed himself, was he insinuating different parts of the song? Was he thinking I can get by by, you know, by having this? I don't know. I don't know. Off the cuff, it seems. Why, why should the, you know, should the music even be allowed? Should it be, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like. If if it's not Wait, out are there, you, are, are you advocating for Tipper Gore and the PMRC right now? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Is. I'm not going to yes, say yes or no. Bobcat Goldthwait is going to come slap the shit out of you. <laughs> uh, Frank but, Zappa is getting out of the grave and coming to your home. I, I love those parental warning stickers on all my albums because it told me which albums I wanted to buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and trust me, we we snuck those as kids. Matt, you and I have had this conversation coming back from a uh, from a trip recently. <laughs> we 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 played the old forbidden high school music, right? That, that at least I wasn't allowed to listen to. You know. So anyway, I think each case is different. So yeah, no, I think on its face, no, you shouldn't be a you shouldn't be disqualified from getting a scholarship. But but that scholarship being granted was on the school, and so if, if he violated some, you know, obviously. Uh, 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 student conduct at a school is not held to the same standard that, uh, uh, you know, a crime or something would be prosecuted by, you know, federal, local, state laws or anything like that. So, so it's up to the school whether they, 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 they want to enforce any kind of, uh, oh, what's the, what's the term uh, that they use? Morals um, clause was yeah. what they used to use in the old contracts right, for like right. Hollywood people. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Same as if you go to work for like a movie studio or a TV show and or something like that. Yeah. They'll they'll enforce a mor morality clause to so that you don't, um, you know, say so, so you go to work on the next Star Wars, you're not allowed to disparage Disney in any kind of a public forum or something like that. So it's up to the school to on on whether they want to do it. I don't agree with it. I don't think that the school really had a leg to stand on by by doing that, especially if it was something done in his personal life, on his personal TikTok or whatever, and and not on a school sanctioned official uh, something or other uh, that he was doing it. Did this, did he, by posting it, make his personal life public? And therefore does that publicity, yeah. if it reflects poorly on the school, should the school not protect other students again? And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be the one to say music should be outlawed. I'm never the one who's going to say that, that the kid should go to jail. But is the school not proactively saying this sort of behavior will not be tolerated among our community and therefore you're no longer welcome here? We're disinviting you. Well, I, I think that there's there's a, again, there's a spectrum of, of consequences and the school took took an extreme edge of that spectrum by saying, OK, we're, we're did, did, they, did they disenroll him? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the story at all. He, he was I, I, I don't know the exact details. He was recruited by several schools. The one he chose to go to, I guess, was in Florida and Florida said, you're no longer welcome. Don't come in the fall. OK, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, but on that spectrum of consequences, the school could also, it, it, it would be on the table to say, hey, look, uh, 
you're kind of representing us. You did this in public. Can you just take it down and and maybe put up something in its place that says, hey, I used to have a video here. I said a word that I shouldn't have said. Uh, sorry about that. And then let it be done with that. I mean, holy shit. I really like that idea because it's actually the school doing what a school should do. Teaching. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and, and, changing an out, and changing an outcome and showing that there's consequences to an act. I like that a lot. I like that more than just saying, don't come here. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's extreme uh, to 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 lose a a scholarship and be disenrolled because of because of something like that. But I, I would be, I would be afraid though um, that if the school did that, they would then suffer the accusations of you're going easy on this person because they're an athlete, or you're giving the white person slack for doing something evil. That you know, I, I can totally understand the school's position. I totally get it. I do still feel bad for the kid. I, again. This is a person who's an adult, ostensibly. They had some really poor judgment in doing what they did. That was a dumb thing to do. But I don't think they had any, I don't think the, I don't think Mr. Stokes had any concept that what he was doing was this horrible and that there was this amount of risk at stake. So are you maybe advocating to, like with alcohol, there is a higher age to drink it in, in the States, as far as I understand. Would you advocate yes. for raising the age for going on the internet? I don't know. <laughs> I think you know, it's 13. You know, and... no, I, totally, I totally understand. And, and, and actually, I don't think I'd be averse to that if the internet wasn't such a powerful tool for everything else, including socialization, learning, development, um and i agree it was a little bit of a joke of course but like in general when you're talking about there's an age uh sort of like border and should this border maybe be higher than 18 are are we not like response behaving responsible on the internet with 18 yet and i wouldn't i wouldn't restrict it to the internet and internet behavior um this is the thing we're in it and this is what the show is about and that's kind of why we're tending to the internet i am gradually over the years coming to the opinion i would not have a problem raising the age of majority um we already treat young adults differently than we treat a mature adults uh under several legal constructs including our healthcare system where you know matt joey your kids can be on your insurance till they're 26 or something like that yeah, I've got a 22-year-old who's still on my insurance. So yeah, yeah, and and that is legal and legit in the U.S. Um, you can't rent a car until you're 25 years old in most jurisdictions in the U.S. Uh, we we yeah. treat our adults not like adults, and I think the pro and I'm I'd be okay if we raise the age of majority, but we got to do it across the board, and that's where the risk comes in because I would say nobody can join the military until they're a full adult. Nobody can vote until they're a full adult. Nobody can be prosecuted for a crime as an adult until they're a full adult. If you don't have the responsibility, you should not face the same consequences. And I think that's... I think... Yeah, no, no, Ben, I, 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 to, to that point, I believe biologically, don't the frontal lobes finish growing at 25? I mean, that's when, you know... <laughs> Yeah, physiologically, yeah, there's been some some case study that, yeah, yeah, kids don't make good decisions because their brains aren't fully developed until they're about 24, 25 years old. And, I, and, and, and I'll testify to that. My kids make dumb decisions, even though they're in their 20s. <laughs> they, they do silly things. I did silly things. I did dumb things yeah. well into my 20s. <laughs> Me too, and mine are not that long ago. And I'd say, and <laughs> at least here, around here, the direction is going the opposite direction. Legal drinking age in Austria is 16. Voting age in Austria is 16. 
you turn Jesus. like you get like um you're an adult with 18 you're allowed to drive with 17 and stuff like that so we're we are currently pushing everything like further in the front and i agree like with everything we've been discussing here i'm like i think we should push it back i think with the amount of learning and with the amount of development we have to do these days especially like as you said we are looking at this from an it perspective but there's so much information out there you need to start to wrap your head around as joey was saying like he's teaching his kids to behave differently just because of the new technologies which are around you need and so this uh, maybe has some some chilling effect on what you what you can experiment with because you need to be aware that everybody can record you and so you need to sort of like have more time to do those experience get those experiences in safer spaces where you don't have to be afraid to be recorded where you don't um have to have to watch over your back of is this the correct place is this the correct time and stuff so I, I don't know. I I I, th I always thought I it's stupid to turn eighteen uh, like and be an adult. Um, I would have I I always did like especially for video games. Never respected those age restrictions. But <laughs> and I think for them they are partly stupid. But um, I for for the justice system, I so agree. I think we should that the the age limit there should be higher. And voting, I think so too. <laughs> I mean, it's such an see, old white guy thing to be sitting around saying we should make <laughs> reduce the number of uh, rights I totally that people agree. have. Oh, oh. And and I hate I hate infantilizing people. I really I really don't like that. Um I I uh I went to a local hearing in, in our in our city council here a few years back when they were trying to raise the age of adult entertainers on Bourbon Street where um, they wanted to make young women could only dance in clubs. They were 21 and up instead of 18. And um, I happen to know a lot of people in that industry. And uh, a lot of those women were very empowered at 19, 20 years old. And that was their route out of their bad conditions in their homes. And they made good money. And to infantilize them and take away that opportunity from them was divesting them of agency. And I think that that's awful. Um, but on the other hand, if you're going to do it, like Rafti said, you got to do it across the board. It can't be one or the other. If they don't get the authority, it, it's like taxation without representation. If you can't be held reasonably accountable to rent a car, then you also shouldn't be prosecuted as an adult. Now, the tough part about that is physiologically, we're adults way before we're mentally adults or psychologically mature enough to 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 capture those things. And, and I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I don't know how, who you'd recruit for the military. I don't know what happened with professional sportsing because those people get recruited earlier and earlier. Um, it'd be tough. We'd have to adjust as a society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. This was a heck of a, a set of current events. <laughs> this went long. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry. There's just one last thing that I want to institute for, for future shows. Um, I was originally going to call it Musk Watch, but with a name like Musk, I think it should be Musk Scent. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Musk Rat. <laughs> uh, I think we should do we should do little updates on, on what's going on with our with our potentially Twitter, bond. Twitter 2.0. Twitter 2.0. Yeah, okay. So this is the big one is Twitter. He finally bought it and he finally started doing things with it. And people are going crazy because they are very upset that now free speech is allowed on Twitter. 
Um, how how y'all feeling I, about that? Oh gosh, can, do, do we do we have can to? We, can, can we? <laughs> In this one, for oh yeah, the next oh yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. But there was one other. There was one other Musk sent uh, item that I thought was hilarious. Um, he had been making some comments about uh, Ukraine and Russia. He he really wants the war to end, and um, he has been telling both parties come to a table, talk, and figure this shit out and get to a resolution. Um, the Ukrainian minister of something told musk on twitter fuck you <laughs> and and musk turned around and said hmm okay um now i think that if we're going to continue to support your military capability with our satellite communications you better ask the pentagon to pay your bill because i'm going to start charging you for skylink i thought that was pretty interesting I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I like it. I'm not sure if I don't like it. It's uh, yeah. It's Cause that's thing. almost like, okay, you make me mad or I don't agree with you. Then let's see how you I'm like pulling the plus. Yeah, well, that's I'm taking my toys and going home. That's the yeah. definition of extortion. Well, he gave it to them for free. Right. And what he's extorting them for is peace talks. So I'm not really sure if that's the same thing as Guido showing up and asking you to pay your protection money for the month. You know what I'm saying? Or else you get your kneecaps broken. It's still extortion. Yeah. You can put <laughs> lipstick on the pig all you, all you want. It's still extortion. And what what stake does Elon have in the whole Ukraine-Russia conflict anyway? Who does he, does he think he's some great diplomat, some great negotiator that's going to broker peace in the region because you know he's got a couple of billion dollars and some satellites and now Twitter? He did Fuck give him. an entire country Fuck free him. internet, which allowed them to communicate to prosecute their war. So? <laughs> but what have you done for me lately? Right? Somebody yeah. somebody would have footed the bill. So. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, and with that, we come to another end of an episode. I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Matt Snotty. Rafael Pitler. And I'm Joey Police. Join us again next week and maybe an update on Musk Scent or the sensuous sounds of InfoSec. Oh, was that my fake baritone uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes style? Hello, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I am your father. This is Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. And that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out 
or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience. If you enjoy this podcast, take a listen to The Topic of Choice with host Joey Police, his sidekick Matt, that's me, and lots of interesting guests. Now on its third season, Joey leads open conversations, reviews, and interviews about all kinds of interesting and exciting topics, often with a pop culture take. It's a fun show released weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.